This is the Youth Worker Collective podcast from Young People's Ministries. You don't have to be in ministry alone with resources, coaching, games, and more at umcyoungpeople.com. Jeremy, it's really good to see you. I'm, I'm sorry that I missed last week, and I hope that um, it's so good to see you because last week was not did not happen. So oh, well, that yeah, that that's really sad when it happens that way. Um, that's right. It did not happen last week because I was uh, down in Daytona Beach, Florida, with the design team for Youth 2023, uh, yep. and I'm going to. I was with- at Universal Studios in Hollywood. Being Doing a the wizard? swish and flick. Yeah, I, I, right. I, I think I saw a picture. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you could be any Hogwarts professor, which one would you be? Ooh, Hogwarts professor. Man, I think I think I would want to be uh, Professor Trelawney. Oh, yes. Good answer. Yeah. That, she's, 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 a fun one. she's my favorite. She's kind of crazy. And uh, For me, you probably would have had to have read the books instead of just seeing the movies, but uh-huh. uh, I would totally be Professor Bins, the, oh, the history great. teacher that just at one point died and then continued <laughs> when he's a ghost. Just keeps preaching. Because, I mean, yeah, that's sort of how it feels sometimes where it's like, <laughs> I just sort of keep sharing all this awesome stuff. I don't know who's listening, but I'm going to keep doing it anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um. But yeah, t- today for the Youth Workers Recharge, uh, Jeremy and I are actually kind of doing a, a, a bit of a one-off episode. We're going to take a break from our crash courses on youth ministry, and, and we'll get back to those. Um, and I will share some information about Youth 2023, the National Youth Gathering, um, in subsequent recharges and episodes. But um, we're recording this at the very beginning of March 2022, and uh, it's a bit of a unique time. Um because war has has sort of shown up again. The the last week of news really has been dominated by uh, conflict between Russia and Ukraine and Russian forces starting to move into um, parts of the Ukraine. And for those folks that don't know, uh, the United Methodist Church, in addition to being in relationship with the Methodist churches of various countries, the the United Methodist Church actually is like a a global church. We've got members all around the world. Uh, And so there are United Methodist churches in Russia uh, and there are United Methodist churches in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And because of the seats that, uh, you know, Jeremy and I sit in and and the different groups that we've served, we actually know people uh, both from Ukraine and from Russia that that find themselves in a very difficult time and actually are surrounded by this conflict. Um, Jeremy and I are coming from places of relative safety, right, because we're recording this from the United States. Um, and we're watching this conflict develop and it's one of those current events that youth are talking about in school. Mm -hmm. And if you're not talking about it in your ministry setting, we kind of feel like you should be right there. There's something powerful about talking current events. And so we, we want to try to pull it apart a little bit for youth workers needing to try to address, um, this in their local church ministries. And, and I think it's important to recognize that this is a, I mean, this is an important moment and it is a big conflict and there's a lot of danger, but there every single day, whether we, our news covers it or not, there is war in the world happening. 
And so, um, though, because this is front of mind, um, and uh, because this is front of mind, I think it's important for us to talk about it, but it's also important for us to remember that there's a lot of places in the world that get invaded all the time that because of all sorts of systemic injustice, very few people know about it, except for the people living in and around those countries. Um, but, you know, the thing is, Chris, the, one of the things that I appreciate about the United Methodist Church is that we, uh, we are very flexible in a lot of our beliefs, right? And at the same time, we continue to try to uh, find a position that we can all stake a claim on. Yeah. Um, or the majority, right? We're uh, much, we're very similar to the way the American democracy is set up in the way that we kind of decide things. But um, we have this book called the Book of Discipline, which is, I mean, primarily it's stuff like how many people need to be on the young people's division, uh, the division on ministry <laughs> with young people's yep. committee, right? Yep. There's well, a and, lot and, of that. Yeah. And and the book of discipline, as you can gather from the title, may not be a page turner, right? No. Like it except for right up at the very beginning. Right. To be honest. Like you get through the first 50 pages of it and you're like, man, this is great. And then all of a sudden it starts into the boring stuff. But because one of the most important pieces for me as a as a United Methodist is this section called the social principles. It also is published and exists on its own, but it's something that we agree on, right? Or that we, we vote on these positions about, I mean, all kinds of things. So, so we'll, we'll kind of give a big church picture. If you're in the United Methodist church, there are these things called general agencies, which make up Mm -hmm. the connectional system of the United Methodist church. Right. Um, And this section of the Book of Discipline called the Social Principles is actually um, kind of shepherded and cared for by an agency called the General Board of Church and Society. Um, And these are statements and these are positions that the majority of the United Methodist Church um, has voted to approve and and share language on. And that happens at general conferences. So these statements are approved um, by a majority of people in the United Methodist Church. Uh, around the world. This is not just a, this is an American position or a European or an African or a uh, Southeast Asian position. This is the the stance of the United Methodist Church. You know, the um, one of the statements is around war and peace. Um, yes. And can I just have you read uh, yeah. paragraph 165, um, section C called war and peace? Absolutely. It says that we believe war is incompatible with the teachings and example of Christ. We therefore reject war as an instrument of national foreign policy. We oppose unilateral first slash preemptive strike actions and strategies on the part of any government. As disciples of Christ, we are called to love our enemies, seek justice, and serve as reconcilers of conflict. We insist that the first moral duty of all nations is to work together to resolve by peaceful means every dispute that arises between or among them. 
We advocate the extension and strengthening of international treaties and institutions that provide a framework within the rule of law for responding to aggression, terrorism, and genocide. We believe that human values must outweigh military claims as governments determine their priorities, that the militarization of society must be challenged and stopped, the manufacture, sale, and deployment of armaments must be reduced and controlled, and that the production, possession, or use of nuclear weapons be condemned. Consequently, we endorse general and complete disarmament under strict and effective international control. Just a little to unpack there, right? Yeah. And, you know, What I appreciate about this um, statement is that it it doesn't mince words. Now, granted, I I assume you, uh, everybody in um, in the United Methodist Church, you've got to understand that we're diverse. uh, We are a very diverse denomination, and any random member of a Methodist church might not agree with all the things that the official stance stances say. But, um, but it's important for us to understand that, that we, we're against war. And it's not that we're against war because uh, we believe in some sort of other political system that is better than um, a representative democracy or, you know, or, or whatever it is. Um, we, we oppose war on theological me on theological grounds, right? That, that war is against the teachings of Jesus and uh, against the, the, the position of um, uh, the example of Jesus in the world. And so we have a sort of theological basis for a, being opposed to war writ large, right? It doesn't matter if it's a war in Russia or if it's a war in South Africa or if it's a war in, uh, you know, uh, Argentina or, or anywhere, right? It's um, we're opposed to war. And yeah, Jeremy, the the theological position, I think, is an important one, Um and we may have to put some context around that. And, and actually, to reference our crash courses, you could look at our crash course on United Methodist um, uh, sort of beliefs and um, teachings. Um, but when Jesus was was alive, the people that were around him were expecting a Messiah, right? There, there were several sort of right. different candidates for Messiahs, and some of them were very military, right? That that part of the prediction for the Messiah would be the overthrow of this Roman occupation and um, the reestablishment of, um, you know, the, the state of Israel and Judah being able to be together again in this new kingdom and the new temple and those things. And the way that Jesus comes about overthrowing the Romans is not by leading armies of military folks all over the place, right? It is this flipping of a lot of the script about loving your enemies um, and finding common ground through care. Now, that's not to say that that Methodists have like, I don't know, squishy boundaries on that stuff, because there are times that you need to set up good boundaries and be able to engage politically um, and sometimes forcefully when you need to. But um, the line that you read that that really resonates for me with where we find ourselves this week is that one about 
um, opposing first strike actions and preemptive strikes. Um, because right, honestly, right. that that is what the conflict between Russia and Ukraine seems to feel like, that there was this preemptive push and there were reasons created for the invasion. And when it ends up in loss yeah. of life, when it ends up in, um, you know, I mean, uh, upsetting the ability for people to get clean water and food and raise their children without the trauma of conflict in their backyard, uh, that's where I really, really struggle with with that war piece yeah. and those preemptive pieces. Um, so, obviously, so I think it's important yeah, to ahead. say this isn't pacifism. Right. Yeah. Right. This isn't yeah. pacifism, but it is being theologically opposed to war. Mm hmm. And that's a that's an important thing. And, and, and you know, Chris, when I'm thinking, you know, a lot of people who watch this, um, they are working with teenagers, right, adolescents yep. at churches, and you cannot escape this issue right now, right? right? It's gonna come up, and and I think that's an important thing for you to 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 be prepared, right? Uh, <laughs> to to have some conversations about this in 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 your youth ministry. Yeah. And, and big picture wise, I mean, I guess uh, I think I've always been a proponent of being able to talk about current issues um, mm -hmm. from a theological perspective and involving yep. those in your ministry plans. Um, because if something is being talked about in public schools uh, or, uh, you know, where, wherever your kids are getting their schooling, if they're homeschooled or charters or whatever, if it's a topic of conversation among friend groups um, or from teachers there, um, it's part of your job as a youth leader, um, yeah. as, a, as a member of the church that is helping to raise young people in faith to engage in current issues and help them understand what God's perspective on the situation might be. So big, tough question, Jeremy. Um, if we are going to engage in difficult topics and current issues, how do you bring that stuff up without like ruining everything? You know, how, <laughs> how, how do you have those conversations where um, you set up a, a, a culture and expectations that you're just not going to um, alienate people, even though you're talking about something that may feel controversial or may feel very difficult to talk about. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a really important question. And I think the number one thing that you can do is uh, not spring controversial topics on people, um, especially on uh, your boss. <laughs> so if you know that you're going to talk about war and that your kids are, or families or adults are sensitive to this issue, um, make sure that whoever is your boss knows, uh, hopefully your senior pastor also knows that, yeah, this is going to be the topic this week. But in addition to that, hopefully you have regular communication channels with your parents and teens on Facebook or Instagram, or maybe an email newsletter, you know, it's important to go ahead and throw that in there say, Hey, this Sunday, we're going to talk about the war in Ukraine, mm -hmm. or we're going to talk about war and peace or, or whatever. And so that everybody, you know, there will, no matter how many times you communicate, there will be somebody who, who says, I didn't know this was happening. And then you just, you know, pull up Facebook, pull up the email newsletter, bring the senior pastor alongside. Right. And, um, and do that. But I, I think the other thing that can is, is important um, is, or, or not important, can be helpful when you are addressing this issue. It, it's, a, it's a way that Parker Palmer um, uh, suggests 
teaching, um, where uh, the role of the teacher in the classroom is not to give their own opinions, mm-hmm. but to give voice to other opinions. So to basically bring other opinions in the room as if they are a person and then allow the students to interact with those as conversation partners. A perfect example is what we just did here. Um, reading that United Methodist statement and then saying what, what felt true to you, right? And not giving what you think is true, but instead when they reflect back, you reflect back, you say, well, you know what? I think this position is saying this, right? Not I am saying this. I think the official statement is meaning this and this. And you, if you are courageous, you might bring another statement, another voice in the room, uh, authoritative voice in the room and say, this is what um, this, uh, this other person or denomination or, you know, leader says and allow them to have conversations. When you position yourself as the person who is giving voice to a uh, official position, mm-hmm. it it insulates you from um, from people saying, "Well, he told uh, he told them to believe blah blah blah," and you say, "Nope, pause." I said, "This is what the United Methodist Church's stance is on this," and I tried my best to give that stance. And and so when you're working in a a, a denominational body, like a local church, um, the easiest thing for you to do is to just stay with that official statement. The the kids can agree or disagree. That's one of the beautiful things about United Methodism. And and that's, and that's the heart of the conversation. Yeah. And, and and allow that disagreement to play out. Do not side with any of the sides of the disagreement. Just keep that comp be the, the voice of the official statement so that they can converse with it and reason with it and say, that's not really what that word means. I know that you kind of heard it that way, but this word means something else. I think this statement is, it's not talking about passivism, right? And here's, here's where you can see that, you know, or it's not saying that um, soldiers are going to hell, right? Mm -hmm. That's, I I don't didn't say that. That's not in there anywhere. Right. Right. So you, you know, you, you can, give voice to the statement, clarity to it, you know, help them reason with it. And, uh, and that's generally the safest. And in, and in my opinion, it's the most effective because students uh, are forming their own beliefs right mm-hmm. now. And if you tell them what you believe is an authority figure um, now you should tell them that you believe that murder is wrong, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But if you I do think the majority of people will agree on that, I, I'm right. reasonably confident. But if you give them your beliefs, um, there is a tendency amongst teenagers. If you have a good relationship with them to, when you express your opinion, your belief that you, that they will want to accept your belief because to reject your belief is not to reject your belief it's to reject you. Mm-hmm. And your your power in that situation is different than the other people in the room. And so in order, but if you don't give them your belief, but you give them the United Methodist Church's belief or the whatever, they they feel permission 
to disagree and to discern. And so instead of inheriting beliefs from you, which is very dangerous for them, they form their own beliefs because inherited beliefs turn out to be uh, really easily destructed Mm. um, when they leave your care and are under the care of someone with another base of authority that disagrees with it. This is making me think of some of the information that people would find in the speaking adolescent crash course that we have. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and, uh, the other two thoughts I had kind of as you were talking through is that uh, if anybody is familiar with the Socratic method mm-hmm. of teaching, yes, um, it's about asking questions and mm-hmm. it's about inviting conversation. And just like you were saying, going back to a statement and figuring out what feels right or what feels wrong about it and how much we have in common with what was said from that statement, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Being a part of the United Methodist Church is to be a part of a denomination. Um, And, you know, like the the United Methodist Church is not uh, creedal. There is no exact thing that you have to agree with in order to be Methodist. Um, And at the same time, the the central understanding that you have of God is that God is love and that Mm -hmm. God's love Mm -hmm. will be triumphant. And it is part of our job um, and our role as Christians in the world to be able to be examples of God's love, right? Um, and so from, from that angle as well, if you're talking about something particular, we'll say war because that's what we're talking about today. If you have folks in your church who are part of the military community or have been serving, um, this also is an opportunity for you to be a pastoral presence for them, right? Um, that if there are youth who you have that their parents have now been activated um, or asked to do something else because they are a soldier um, and need to be involved in the war in some way, it's not judging that parent. It's not judging that person. Um, It is you being able to offer God's love and comfort to them while they go through that unsettling. Yeah. Uh, And then finally, I I just want to remind people that there are denominational resources when you're part of the United Mm -hmm. Methodist Church uh, or or any other denomination that's out there. There's plenty of non-denoms that offer this kind of stuff as well. Mm -hmm. You know, pull pull in different pieces for you to agree and disagree with and look at. Um, One of the the things I wanted to share and close us with today actually um, comes from Discipleship Ministries, and I'll make sure to put the link in the uh, Facebook live chat for uh, the Prayers for Ukraine. Um, But there are denominational resources that uh, offer you discussion points and uh, questions to ask and prayers that you can offer kind of in solidarity with the rest of the United Methodist Church. And one of the very, very interesting pieces um, that uh, for this conflict between Russia and Ukraine um, is that uh, the bishop who is uh, the bishop of Eastern Europe and Russia, um, his name is Edward Kigai. Uh, Edward, uh, Bishop Edward Kigai is the bishop of both Russia and Ukraine. And so he's mm-hmm. finding himself in the middle of this conflict and needing to offer um, this denominational perspective about war and at the same time pastorally support the very human cost of things. And so as, yeah. as a closing for our time together today, uh, I might offer up a prayer for Ukraine that was written by Kayla Craig. Um, and, um, just kind of read that aloud. And then that's how we'll end our time today. Um, Jeremy, thanks as always for hanging out and for bringing your perspective to youth ministry. All right, let's pray. Well, God of peace, our hearts are heavy and our brains can barely keep up with the breaking news. We don't know what to say or what to do in a world so wounded. So we come to you with hearts heavy for all who sit in the crossfires of violence and acts of war. 
Oh God of peace, be with the people of Ukraine, with the mothers who carry babies to subway shelters, with the fathers who hold their heads in their hands, with the children who absorb the traumas of violent acts of powerful men. God of peace, we don't know the words to pray for a warring world and all who are vulnerable in it. We don't pretend to know the extent of the damages or what tomorrow or today will bring. But we know that you are a God of peace and we can't bomb our way to shalom. Mm -hmm. A God of peace, comfort the crying and heal the hurt. Tend the aching and soothe the fearful. Make us instruments of your peace, creating a sacred symphony where rhythms of grace are danced upon and evil has lost its sting now and forevermore. Oh, God of peace, hear our prayer. Amen. Amen.